help and we need you we love you uh, we want to serve you and be like you and be with you um, every day we need your help uh, pray you'd help me in the speaking and uh, also in the hearing um, we just want to be encouraged in you and focus on you pray you'd help us to do that we're looking to you for help um, by your spirit we do ask just like we andy talked about and we sang about we want more of your spirit pray you'd fill us and help us ask these things in your name jesus amen well, we're going to do something a little bit different it, uh since we finished ruth before we go on to the next book we're going to do a new testament book because we kind of go back and forth but do some couple topical messages and this is going to be kind of different um so it's not really going to be um expositional it's more going to be informational so i think it'll be helpful i hope it'll be helpful and um feel free to interrupt because it's going to be a little bit more like i said informational so just stop me at any point and ask a question and hopefully i can answer it but I'm going to talk about the the Bible, how we got the Bible that we have today, and reason we can uh, trust it. And um, we actually had this planned back in since October, so it kind of relates somewhat to some things that were said, you know. Um, but just coincidentally, so just not like a it's not a response or something like that. It just happened to be. Um, We've had this plan for a while. So anyways, um, hope this is helpful. Again, stop me. It's going to be different. So like I said, it's not going to be a sermon. It is going to be a sermon, but it's going to be more history lesson, and there's going to be some technical things. So just jump in and say something or say you know, whatever you want. But let's start here with, a, with this verse from Genesis 3. Uh, at the very beginning, the devil does three things. And he said, this is the first one that he uh, says to Eve. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field, and the Lord Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the reason this is important is, if we're going to follow God, we have to know what God actually says. It's actually quite crafty, right? It's quite deceptive. If If Satan can get you to question, well, did God actually say that? Maybe I'm not really disobeying God if God didn't actually say it. And so we really have to know, is this what God said? What did God actually say? It's really, really important. And we see that the devil actually repeatedly uh, will, you know, kind of try and use this to undermine somebody's faith. And so I'm going to go over some negative examples, actually, of people um, questioning the Bible, whether it's really God's word, but then answering that from uh, historical examples and as well as biblical examples. So this first example um, is from a newspaper article, and I took it from, uh, oh, hold on, make sure this is on. Okay, perfect. All right, like I said, this is, uh, I, I, t- I took this from um, a guy named Daniel Wallace. He's a, he's a New Testament uh, scholar, I guess you would say. He wrote uh, kind of the big, book on New Testament grammar. Um, he, he wrote this, uh, it's like the basic Greek grammar. They even use it in Greece, <laughs> where they speak Greek. For Koine Greek, it's kind of funny. English guy, or he speaks English. He's an American guy, and he wrote the, the, the book on Greek grammar, kind of funny. <laughs> it's, but it's Koine Greek, you know, ancient. 
So anyways, Daniel Wallace, the guy who wrote, who wrote that book that I just showed you, uh, I took this from him. He read this in, uh, in a newspaper article. And this is very similar, kind of a variation of what basically uh, the Satan, you know, Satan said Eve. So this is from a newspaper article. Uh, no television preacher has ever read the Bible. Neither has any evangelical politician. Neither has the Pope. Neither have I. Neither have you. At best, we've all read a bad translation of a bad translation of translation of translation of hand-copied copies of copies of copies of copies, and on and on, hundreds of times. And actually, I reason I put this up here is this actually comes up a lot. Like whenever you go evangelize at Truman or whatever, one of the most common objections I hear is this, and people say this a lot. I've heard this um, many, 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 many times, and usually I ask them, I usually ask them, do you know that? Or did you just hear that from a person who heard it from a person who heard it from a person? <laughs> and uh, it's almost always, yeah, they heard it from a person, a person, a person. Because I'll point them to the religion department, even at Truman, who non-believer, the non-believers over there. I used to know the professors, um, but I think most of at least the one that I knew, he's gone. But even he would say, oh, no, that's not true, um, even though he's, he's, he's not a believer, but... Anyways, it's totally not true, but this is just to give you an example of how Satan continues to do this, uh, the same kind of thing. What What is the truth, though? Let's go back to the Bible to start. The truth is um, God's Word's reliable and trustworthy, and we can trust it. And there's lots of reasons, both because we know God and what he promised, and but also historical examples. So we're going to go over those, but let's start by reading 2 Timothy three fourteen to 17. But as for you, continue in what you have learned, and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with, the sa- acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through Jesus, through faith in Jesus Christ. All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We can have confidence in the Bible. Um, God has preserved His Word, and we can have confidence. That we have, he's given us what we need to know for life and salvation, and so we're very thankful for that. And I'm just going to basically spend the rest of the time going over lots of different examples and basically subpoints to that one overarching point that we can have confidence that the Bible you have in your hand is God's word, and it's not just a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. Although, um, and it's not a translation of a translation of a translation. Although, well, we'll get into the, to the details here. Okay. So some questions that this first objection, you know, that people raise is, can we really trust the New Testament? Oh, wow, that's really tiny. I'll read this to you. Somehow that got messed up. Have there been, I hope they're, I hope they're not all like that. Okay, good, they're not. Okay, so some questions. Uh, have there been major changes to the Bible over time? Can we have confidence that the Bible in our hand has not been changed? And can we have confidence in a present translation? So, because one thing, if you, I'm sure you all know this, but if you don't, maybe some of the kids don't know this, that the Bible actually was not written in English to start. The Bible was written in Hebrew, in the Old Testament, uh, and Greek, in the New Testament. And so, what we have is a translation. So we do want to know, is this a good translation? Because we want to know what God said. And here's going to be my points here. We can have great confidence in in a lot of different areas, and I'm going to go over each one of these. We can have great confidence in our present translation. We can have great confidence that the text has not been corrupted intentionally to conform to theological reforms. Okay, so that 
I'll go over that when we get there. Confidence that prophecies were not added retroactively. Confidence that great care and accuracy was maintained over thousands of years. Great accuracy, not total perfection, but extreme, extreme accuracy. Uh, and confidence that the Bible is historically accurate. So we're going to go through all these basically subheadings of why we can trust the Bible. So let's start with confidence in our present translation. So this is going to be kind of an information dump. Again, stop me, because I'm going to, to understand, to give you some confidence, you have to understand where do we get our translation from and how does it, how does this work? So how do we translate the Bible? So this is actually a, I think this is Sinaiticus. Uh, I, this is, I think this is Sinaiticus. Uh, it's a, it's, this is what a New Testament manuscript looks like. And this, it's pretty amazing, really, that we can have. One of the ways we can have confidence is we have access to a lot of these things in modern times. I think this is John one. I can't. Oh, I can, I can look at my. No wonder I printed out and I'm leaning over trying to look at it. Yes, yes. Okay, so for example, you could uh, go and buy a, a nice piece of Bible software to put on your computer, and they will they scan all these, and um, you can look at it. And if you think, oh, I, I think I'd like to look at uh, what the scholars are looking at when they translate the ESV. I'll pull up Sinaiticus. This is the name of this particular uh, document. And, oh, here's John 1. They'll mark it for you. And, uh, so it's a little bit easier to read because, as you can see, there's no spaces. So it's kind of, imagine writing in English. You print out a book and take out all the spaces, and you have to know which word stops where. So it's a little bit confusing, but uh, it's definitely doable um, and a- accessible, which is pretty amazing here in Kirksville, Missouri, that you can look up and see. This is kind of, you could do it online as well, but uh, you could also get the Bible software. And so how do we translate the Bible? Well, some people, actually a large group of people, get together and they translate all of these. And they actually, the ESV is not just one person. It's actually a large group of scholars and they, they get feedback from other scholars. And then over time, uh, they come to an agreement and they put it out, and then there's actually corrections. Later on, uh, there's different things where somebody will say, hey, actually, this might be better translated this way, and they'll change it, and they'll update it over time. Uh, and so this is how they do it. They look at the originals, and there's actually lots of different copies. They look at all the different copies, and they translate it. So back to that original critique that it's a translation of translation of translation is actually not true. <laughs> we translate it directly from the oldest copies we have. And we compare the oldest copies. So it's actually just one translation from Greek to English, uh, which is pretty amazing. Um, this is what it might look like, uh, just for your FYI. Like, here's John 1.1, and then you can just click and pull up. Oh, here's, here's Sinaiticus. Or you could click one of these other manuscripts here and just see it. Uh, we have really, really, really good translations today. Um, really good. Amazingly good translations. I'll give you an example. Um, let's compare the ESV to the King James. Okay, remember, and this is not to throw any shame on the King James translators, they're just living in a different time. Okay, and they were living in England in the 1600s, and you couldn't pick up the phone and call over to Egypt and say, hey, you got any manuscripts, old manuscripts of the Bible? <laughs> uh, or would you email them to me? <laughs> or scan them so we can have a copy? And so they had a lot less resources. And so the King James was actually translated uh, just based on eight manuscripts. Um, and I think it's actually what they, uh, the manuscripts were actually quite late as well, about uh, the 11th century. 
today, the ESV or any other modern translation, I, I'm, I'm using the ESV because that's what I use, but all other modern translations have access to these as well. So, um, like word-for-word word type translations, not paraphrases. But anyways, uh, actually have over 5,000 manuscripts in the original languages compared to eight. The amazing thing really is that how similar, right? The, you could pick up the King James and it would be fine. You could come here and read the King James if you wanted and you'd be reading the same Bible we're reading, even though uh, they only base it off of eight manuscripts. Now we have over 5,000. And also notice how much earlier the manuscripts we have now. The earliest manuscript they were using, like I said, was in the 11th century, but now we have manuscripts that are from the second century, which is very, very close, obviously, to when the New Testament was written. And this is based on the New Testament. Um, uh, this whole se- section I'm talking about is particularly talking about the New section, new, the New Testament. I didn't talk about the Old Testament, but just for simplicity's sake. So we can have confidence in our present translations. I'll give you just a little bit more detail. Pretty amazing. Um, this is just a graph of the Greek New Testaments by century. Um, there's a lot of manuscripts. So we obviously have more the later it gets uh, because just more survived. But we actually have a lot earlier. Uh, we have a, like This doesn't look like much because you're comparing it to this, but it's actually a lot. We have a lot of early manuscripts. And just to give you a comparison, rather than go through this point by point, I'm going to give you a visual. Again, I, I this particular visual I also took from uh, David Wallace. So here is the average classical work. So uh, another work written in uh, Koine Greek. Something, uh, if you stacked up all the old manuscripts we have, they would be about as high as this pulpit. But the manuscripts of the Bible, if you stacked all them up, I mean, I don't think we even really understand how tall the Empire State Building is, but but it would be six Empire State Buildings. Uh, five, sorry. Five Empire State Buildings. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> and the crazy thing is, the earliest, okay, if we go back, the earliest manuscripts would be way over here of the other um, of the other classical works. That all these extra that are earlier on are just bonus in the Bible. In fact, it's totally unique that we have any that are even close to the date they're written. Uh, the only ancient document that we really have like that is the Bible. And it doesn't compare to the others. Uh, just how many copies we have, it's, it's amazing. Now I'll give you a little side note. This is just a historical side note. People like really revered the Bible because it's God's word. And they would do weird, like kind of, we call them weird, but I'm thankful for them now, like weird things. Like imagine if you, your Bible got all worn out. And you're like, I need to get a new Bible. And so you put it in a coffee can, and you wrapped it in saran wrap, and you buried it in your backyard because you didn't want to destroy it. That's kind of what they would do, stuff like that. They didn't have coffee cans, of course. <laughs> but they didn't want to destroy the Bible, so they would just put them places. Um, and now we have those copies, so I'm very thankful they did that. So um, anyways, just pretty amazing, really. Um, really, really amazing. Okay, we have really good, all this is to say, we have really good translations based on really good manuscripts with lots of scholars and lots of input, and it's totally unique. There's nothing else from the ancient world that you could read that is as accurate and as reliable as the Bible. That's awesome. There's been many, 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 many thousands of hours spent translating and tracking down manuscripts and talking among scholars, and we are all great, great, great beneficiaries of that, and we can be so thankful.
we can just say, praise God. What an amazing thing. And we can thank him that he preserved those things and that Christians throughout the ages have given money and time and energy into funding this these, these sorts of endeavors. And so that's kind of the wrap-up of this first section. Can we have confidence in our present translation? The answer is yes, absolutely. Any questions on this before we move on to the second point? Comments, clarifications? Yes? I'm assuming that, like, I talk about the similarity of King James and the ESV, maybe we're getting this later, but that kind of proves the point that the manuscripts from the second century were not, like, changed dramatically to the manuscripts in the 11th century they resulted in the content. Excellent point. Oh, and this is tiny again. I'll read this to you. Confidence, uh, I guess this got messed up when I put it over that computer. Confidence, we can have confidence. This is exactly what he's saying, so it ties right in perfectly. We can have confidence that the text has not been corrupted intentionally to conform to, con- to conform to theological reform. So basically what we can say is that those manuscripts over time didn't change. No one thought, hmm, it'd be really convenient for me if I change this. Um, we can be confident that that didn't happen. And one of the reasons is we can see that it hasn't been changed over time. That when you look at the manuscripts, this is what David was saying, from the King James, uh, that they used even late manuscripts, they're remarkably similar to early, early, early manuscripts. They haven't been changed over a thousand years, basically. There are a few differences, and your Bible will put a little bracket or put a little star uh, just so you know if somebody's using the King James, this you know, this may be different or something like that. Um, but the fact that there's not, your Bible isn't covered in brackets show there's only a very few points of that. Um, so let's go over this. That How can we be con- confident that it hasn't changed? I'll give you a negative example again. Again, this is a negative example. Um, Joseph Smith, you know, the guy who started Mormonism, he actually said, again, that the Bible was not trustworthy. And he made this translation, he called it a translation, uh, where he corrected over 2,000 verses. And I'm going to give you one example. And this is an example to show that we can have confidence the Bible hasn't been changed. So this is Joseph Smith's version of John 1.1. This is what he said was the right translation, okay? In the beginning was the gospel preached through the Son, and the gospel was the Word, and the Word was with the Son, and the Son was with God, and the Son was of God. So he wanted to take out the Trinity, <laughs> and he did um, in, the, in this particular translation. It's not really a translation, but he calls it a translation. So... Uh, why this is such a helpful example is it shows that if somebody did change the Bible, we can know and we can have confidence. Oh, that w- that's actually not what it says. And here's all the manuscripts. And uh, this is a, basically we can spot a fraud. Um, and so I'll give you an example here. John 1.1, 1, 1, um, I'll show you this in this Bible as well. This, this Bible has what they, they call it, um, I think they call it a critical apparatus, but basically... There's a Greek New Testament up here, and then down here there's these footnotes, and they note every vari- variant. So, like in this particular, um, in this particular manuscript, they call it Alpha. Um, there's this little difference here, and they note them all. And what's really amazing is John one one has zero of all the manuscripts we have. There's no variants, and that includes spelling errors. <laughs> so. Um, everyone agrees that John 1.1 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, down to the even the spellings. <laughs> and that's really amazing. Uh, so we can know 
not only is this not uh, what Joseph Smith said not true, it's not even close to true. There's not there's not evidence for not even a single change to John one one over thousands of years. If we know for sure what John one like any verse said, we know what for sure what a lot has said. There's a lot that don't have any variance, but John one one is especially clear, and it's really amazing actually too. Uh, if you look at John one one in the Greek, there's actually I don't want to go into like too much detail, but basically John one one and one two are this this uh, uh, poetic structure, and you can kind of hear it in, even in the English, where John two kind of sounds a little bit strange. Like why is he why is he saying the same thing again? Well, it's because it's a poetic kind of uh, structure. I'll just read you John one one and I'll explain it. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's one, and then two. He was in the beginning with God. You see how it kind of says the same thing that it said at the beginning at the end? That's because in the Greek, you can switch the word order around and it doesn't change the subject and the object. And it's a perfect um, mirror image. So it starts with beginning, word, word, God, God, word, God, beginning. <laughs> it's like this mirror image. And so if you change one, uh, verse one, like Joseph Smith did, it doesn't even make sense in the Greek. You lose all that poetic structure. Um, and it's like, not only is there no, not only is there no variant that, no manuscript that matches what he said, it breaks the clear poetic structure that is there in the Greek. <laughs> and so it's like, there's all these layers that we can have confidence. This is what the Bible actually said. <laughs> we, the Bible, uh, like Joseph Smith said, was changed. It's, it wasn't. And the amazing thing is we found all these manuscripts after he wrote these things in the 1800s. So it's like, uh, he's like, well, if we had earlier manuscripts, then you would know it was changed. Well, we've, then now we have earlier manuscripts. <laughs> so it's just, it's just amazing. Um, it's wonderful. And so, again, we can have confidence. And it's not just Joseph Smith. I'll give you another. This is, again, a negative. This is not a positive example, but negative. This is um, from a Muslim writer. The Muslim writer uh, obviously doesn't want us. They actually say a very similar thing to Joseph Smith, that the New Testament has been corrupted. I'll just read you this. Um, actually, you know what? Just for sake of time, I'm just going to summarize this. Just you can trust me on this. I can give you the. I can give you a copy of this if you want. But basically, they say, "Oh yeah, the New Testament it was corrupted, and over time they changed it to make things fit theologically." That originally Jesus wasn't God, but then later on, like with Constantine, he changed all the Bibles, and so you don't have the Bible that the the trustworthy Bible. So this is this is a Muslim writer. Well, the amazing thing about that is, again, we can have confidence that it wasn't changed because we can just look at manuscripts that are pre-Constantine, right? If Constantine changed all the manuscripts to say Jesus was God and it never said that before, then we just, if we have manuscripts that are pre-then, then we'll see, oh, are they, do they say Jesus was God? And the amazing thing is, uh, he is, <laughs> uh, that they haven't been changed. Uh, we've found so many manuscripts actually after the King James was written. It's pretty amazing. Like some, all of our oldest manuscripts uh, that we have, uh, like the top, I think seven or eight were found post KJV uh, writing. So they couldn't even have had access to these because they were still in caves and no one had found them for thousands of years. It's pretty amazing. So here's an example. Uh, this particular set of papyri has John 1.1 in it and it bumps up uh, even into the 200s. Um, there's always a range. This is like the most 
skeptical range. I tried to find somebody who's like, like kind of a skeptic basically. So like as to not, yeah, uh, just to give you the most conservative possible estimate, you know, of the, of the ages, which is pretty amazing. So there's this example there. There's a, there's another example, uh, of Sinaiticus, which we already looked at at the time. Some scholars think this is actually a little bit earlier than that, uh, like I said, but this is just another example. But we can look and find these old, old manuscripts and say, were they changed? People said they were changed, and now we can just look and see. It's actually quite amazing how many we found. Uh, this was found... Uh, actually, this is listing four, so it doesn't have all four, but... In the 1800s, several were found. This particular um, papyrus was found in the 1900s, 1926, uh, in Egypt. And again, this particular one is pretty amazing. This is the oldest copy of the New Testament. This is the oldest copy of the New Testament that we have. And some people think it was written... Um, it's, it's saying it's written just after 100. It could be just slightly earlier than that, but... You know, it's hard to tell. But the amazing thing is we've got these copies that are just a generation, basically, after they're written. It's really amazing. I'll give you another example here. Uh, of the Gospel of John, particularly, knowing it hasn't been changed. There was all this writing in uh, in Germany. These German scholars were saying, John is clearly written in the 300s. You know, it's laid, it's different, it's got all these differences, and so clearly it was written way after the time of Jesus. And so they wrote books and books and books and mounds of books, and then they found the oldest copy of the New Testament. And guess what book it was from? John. <laughs> and it was written way before 300. And the, all that's gone. In an instant, thousands and thousands of hours criticizing the Bible are just, they disappear with evidence. It's awesome. It's really, really cool. And stuff like that has happened over and over and over. And we'll cover some more. There's so many examples I had to cut a bunch out because there's so many. We could give this, I told Andy, hey, maybe we can do this again in a year and use all different examples because there's so many wonderful examples. So I'm going to give you a quote here. I'm going to kind of prepare you. There's a guy that's a real big critic of the New Testament, and he's, he, uh, his name is Bart Ehrman. This is a negative. He's, I'm not saying go out and read this guy's books. This is a negative example. But he's a super big critic. But even he agrees that the New Testament hasn't been changed theologically. So this is a book from his, this is a quote from his book, Misquoting Jesus. So you can kind of see his bent there. But uh, this is a Q&A in the back. He says, Why do you believe these core tenets of Christian orthodoxy to be in jeopardy based on the scribal errors you discovered in the biblical manuscripts? So this is, a, again, this is a big critic of how reliable the Bible is. This is what he says to that. Essential beliefs are not affected by textual variants in the manuscript tradition of the New Testament. So think about this. There's this biblical scholar, and he has this real bent. He'll debate other people and try and basically undercut the reliability of the New Testament. And he even he's saying, no, the essential things haven't been changed. It's pretty, pretty amazing. He actually took that quote out of his later editions of the book. <laughs> kind of interesting. Kind of sad, actually. But anyways, um, just giving you, again, more evidence. Okay, a couple more examples here. There's just so many, and they're so cool that I want to. Okay. Okay, we can have 
we can have confidence that great care and accuracy was taken in translating uh, and copying the New New and Old Testament over thousands of years. Okay, so this, again, is saying basically a similar thing to what we said last time. Last one was slightly different, and we were saying, did things change intentionally when when they're saying theological things shifted, and so they changed it intentionally? This is saying something slightly different, which is, are things changed unintentionally? Maybe someone messed up, you know, and that actually does happen. There's there are changes, right? There's spelling errors. The vast majority of them are spelling errors. There's one. There's actually one letter. It's called a movable new in Greek. It's kind of like an N, like when you say a an or a, depending on if there's a vowel. Um, the most common like variant is that new. They have the same idea. You put an N if there's a vowel uh, on the next word or whatever. The most common variant is forgetting or including that movable new. And there's a lot of things like that, spelling errors or a scribal copy a letter two times, or they'll copy a word two times, or they'll leave out a word, things like that. All that's noted. Um, and that goes back to kind of what I was saying earlier, is that all these things were copied by hand, which is pretty amazing and remarkable. And so things like that would happen. But what I want you to know is, despite all that, we can have great confidence that great accuracy was maintained over thousands of years. And I'll give you an example here. Okay. Let's start with this picture here. Okay, this is a picture of the cave where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. They're also called the Qumran Scrolls. Um, There's actually several caves, so this is just one of the caves. Um, But they found in the middle of the 1900s, basically this boy shepherd was out walking uh, young, I think he was like 10 or 11, 12 maybe, he was walking with sheep in Israel out in the middle of this valley, and there's caves, and he was picking up rocks and just throwing them. And he threw one into a cave, and he heard something shatter. And it's like, crash. He's like, oh, what's that? And uh, they went up there. Uh, he was by himself, I think, at the time, but I think he went back and got people, and they went up there, and there was these pots, clay pots, and there was this paper all over the floor where he'd broken one of the pots. And they stepped on the papers and, and all that. And then they went and they got people. And it turns out, oh, wow, these are the oldest copy of the New Testament anyone's ever seen by a thousand years. <laughs> it's amazing. A little kid throwing rocks discovered it. And there was tons and tons of these pots that somebody had put in these caves, and they were preserved. And it's really, really remarkable. Uh, really, really cool. And you can see why people didn't discover it, discover it for a while. You see this tiny little hole there, um, and there's all these caves around. Okay, so here's an example. I, there, I pulled up this scholarly article, and they said there were significant changes over time. Okay, and here's one example, and you're going to be surprised at how, quote-unquote, significant it is. Okay, uh, this is Deuteronomy 32, 8 and 9. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the children of Israel, but the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob, his allotted heritage, Deuteronomy 32, 8 and 9. Now, if you have the NAS, that's exactly what yours says, because uh, the NAS uses the Masoretic text, which was the text before the, um, before the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. Now, if you have the ESV, it reads just slightly different. Um, when I'll just give you the difference here, so you don't have to search for it. <laughs> it says, sons of God instead of sons of Israel. 
That's the quote unquote significant difference. It was one word that changes no meaning. <laughs> it's really remarkable. It's like, so if anyone says there were significant changes, it's like, well, what do you mean by significant? The reason they call this significant is there's hardly any changes. And so when there's one that's an actual word difference, it's like, wow, we found one, you know, that actually changed. But it changes nothing. Uh, the fact is that people were sitting here in this room with two different uh, words there in their Bible, and no one ever knew. Wow, the reason this is different. If your, your ESV actually might have a footnote that says Qumran text. And it actually might have a footnote that says, gives you the other reading from the Masoretic text. So these are the kind of changes after 1,000 years. That's amazing. It should give us great confidence that the Bible hasn't been changed. Um, and I'll give you one more really remarkable uh, story here. Okay, this, well, this story is so cool, I just have to tell you this. Okay, here's another example of, this is the absolute oldest piece of the Bible we have. And look how far back it is. It's so cool. This is so cool. Um, this is like thousands of years um, before Jesus. Uh, I think that's between seven and eight thousand, or uh, seven. Oh, is that right? Seven and eight hundred BC. So not quite a thousand years before Jesus, but it's by far the oldest copy we have of any piece of the oldest New Testament. Um, and the story of how they found it is so interesting that I feel like I had to include it here. Okay, so this is kind of a burial site in in caves in Jerusalem. And people would go and rob these like for years and years and years and centuries. And so to find any that are undisturbed and have anything left is super rare because for centuries people would rob them. Um, but what happened was a ceiling, this, this ceiling up here, um, like is made of stone. This is just cut out of the rock. Uh, they found, uh, well, they, they didn't know this happened. I'll tell you the story of how they discovered it. There was this guy and he actually is a researcher and he's searching through all these. And he had a group of students come, like young elementary school students, to see what they were doing. And he had one kid, I think his name was Matthew, but I could be wrong, who was um, bothering him. And so he said, uh, he kept asking him questions. And the researcher said, hey, Matthew, you go into this, this uh, empty cave, and you need to clean it up for photographs. And, he, and, and we're going to put you in there for a while <laughs> to get him away, literally just to get away from this kid. So he, he gives him, he puts him in here. It's literally an empty stone room, and he's supposed to be sweeping it up. Well, a couple uh, minutes, he said like 30 minutes later, the kid pulls, somebody's pulling on his shirt. He turns around, and it's Matthew. And he's got two super old um, jars in his hands. He's like, look what I found. And they knew they're not supposed to pick anything up. <laughs> well, he had broken through the floor somehow. <laughs> it's crazy. So the two oldest copies of the Old Testament we have are kids breaking things. Discover them. So what had happened was, years and years ago, the whole roof collapsed and created a false floor that looked like a stone floor because it was actually the entire roof. It fit perfectly inside the, the burial cave. And it collapsed, and it collapsed down on all these pots. And so that's why the grave robbers never found it because it looked to everyone like this is the floor. And it was actually only about six inches of space. And they found all these pots. And in these pots, they found the oldest copy of anything from the Bible we have, and it's this little piece of silver, um, and it has the Aaronic blessing written on it. Lord bless you and keep you. It's so old that, you know, the Hebrew script, you probably would recognize it if you saw it. It's so old that it's like a, um, letters were written differently 
and that's how they one of the reasons they know it's so old um, is uh, it's like the pre-square letters. So, anyways, pretty remarkable and amazing. And that was in the seventies. Okay, anybody getting bogged down? I hope not. Um, one last. This is all leading to a point. Okay. This is a really, really cool point. Okay. People used to say that Isaiah 53 was added by Christians after Jesus. And it was hard to prove that that wasn't true because our oldest Old Testament was actually after Jesus. So it was called the Masoretic Text. And you see, uh, here's this is the Dead Sea Scrolls, which we just talked about. And they were written, obviously, pre-Jesus' birth. Um, there's a range there as well. But before that, we had the Masoretic Text. This is what the KJV is based off of. And it's almost 900 years after Jesus. And so what they're saying is, hey, Isaiah 53 is clearly about Jesus. They added it. Christians added it afterwards to like show like there's a prophecy, but it wasn't real. Okay? So what do you think would happen? What would be one section we would really want to check out whenever we find these super old manuscripts uh, from a th- like way before, a thousand years before? Um, a thousand years before the Masoretic text and, and definitely before Jesus. We were going to check and see what's Isaiah 53 say. Are there any changes? Well, guess what? They're not. <laughs> it was a real prophecy. It was so specific that they had to discount it and say it was added later. But now we know, oh, that's not true. That was actually in there. It's really awesome. And things like this happen over and over and over. And so all that is to say, the whole point of this whole section was to say, the Bible has been translated with great accuracy. It hasn't been changed, even accidentally. Not intentionally, but not accidentally. Over thousands of years, New Testament and Old Testament. And there's just remarkable stories like that over and over and over and over. The hard part is, every time something like that happens, they just move on to a new a new thing. Um, and there's a new criticism. But that should give you great confidence. Uh, it's really amazing. Isaiah 53 is, is remarkable. I, I almost thought about showing you a video uh, of that I found of these people reading to Jews Isaiah 53 in the Hebrew and saying, who do you think this is talking about? Um, and hearing them say, like, well, that sounds like Jesus. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, do you know what that's from? Is that from the New Testament? No, that's Isaiah 53. Oh, wow. That's, <laughs> it's, it's pretty cool. Um, and we know for sure uh, that it was not added by Christians. Um, okay. Questions before we jump into historic accuracy? Okay, uh, this is the last one, and so it's going to be very similar, and this will be short. We can have great confidence that the Bible is historically accurate. Um, a lot of it is similar examples to the one. You're going to kind of connect and see how all these are related. But, okay, here's another thing they used to say about the New Testament. They used to say that Pilate was just made up. And there are some historians that mentioned Pilate, but there wasn't, like, inscriptions and some, like, really, really good evidence about Pilate. Um, I think Suetonius and Tacitus, either Suetonius or Tacitus mentioned Pilate. Um, I can't remember. That's a, they're talking about Rome and different things like that. But, but basically they were saying, Pilate's a fictional character that the New Testament writers made up. And we didn't really have a lot of evidence. Like there wasn't, other than Suetonius or Tacitus, and I can't remember which one it is, there wasn't a lot of good evidence. But then, just recently, uh, they found this stone. And they call it the Pontius Pilate Stone. <laughs> and basically what happened was a building got destroyed. And this happened a lot in the uh, ancient times and 
you can read about it like in Nehemiah, even in the Bible. But if a building got destroyed, they would take those huge stones and they would use them to build new buildings. And there's a building, I'm pretty sure it's in Jerusalem, but I did not write it down, which was a mistake. I think it's in Jerusalem. Um, it's definitely in Israel. Where they found this stone with an inscription and it's, they call it the Pilate stone because it talks about Pontius Pilate. <laughs> and so it's like, again, another example of, oh wow, uh, here was this criticism and then they find evidence that it, it was, what they were saying is just totally false. That Pilate was a real person and, and here's, uh, here's an example. Uh, it's quite, a, I think it's, um, it's quite remarkable, really, that we can actually see the inscription because, you know, they put they use this stone in another building and they could have put it on three out of four sides, right? This would have been invisible, but it was on the outside. And somebody just found this and said, oh, I wonder, you know, there's so many things like this that I wonder if that's why some of it is not, you know, people don't notice it a while. It's kind of hard to read and there's lots of these are being used. And so it's, somebody found it. It's like, oh, yeah, this actually seems kind of significant. And so they, uh, this is, this isn't an, this is in the, I think it's in the 2000s. Um, so new discoveries are being made all the time. And this is just one of many examples. I had to, I, the biggest problem and difficulty with this is I wanted to get it across to you, but I also didn't want to overwhelm you for examples. So I just tried to pick one or two. And let's just conclude this. Let's kind of wrap all these things up and just say this. What was all this history lesson, you know, and, and what's the point of all this? Why go over all this? Well, one, I want—I just want to encourage you that, one, you can ask questions. If somebody comes to you, you know, and says, hey, I don't believe the Bible because of this and that, let's talk about it. Ask. Uh, ask your parents. Ask us. Um, let's have a conversation. There's a lot of really amazing evidence that God is who he said he is. Um, historic, historical evidence, evidence from the Bible itself in our own lives, you know, um, what God has done for us. But I want us to be able to talk about it. Uh, if something comes up or, you know, maybe you've been reading through your Bible and you saw a little footnote and says other uh, manuscripts omit this and it's kind of bothered you or something and you want to talk about it, let's talk about it. Um, happy to do that. And I don't know where you're at or, you know, whether you're in high school or younger or maybe you're going to go to college or maybe you're through college and you're just talking to a friend. Let's just be open. Let's. There's lots of good... Um, opportunities to share with somebody as well as learn yourself and grow and over and over and over you know for, and for me when I've had a question it's like I've been su- um, surprised by how amazing the evidence is for Christ it's it's remarkable some of these things are so unique literally you know the only book we could even be having this conversation about and uh, talk about like this is the Bible um, it's so well preserved. Of course, we all know God, right? God's in control. God's promise as word uh, would be preserved, and so we can be thankful for that. Why else? Well, I kind of want to circle back around to where we started. That from Second Timothy three fourteen through seventeen. That all scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be completely equipped for every good work. We can have confidence this is God's word. This is the words of God. There may be a few words where we don't know if it's 
Israel, children of Israel, children of God. Uh, we know it's one of those. Uh, but either way, the message is exactly the same. Nothing has changed. Not even that verse has changed. The message of the verse is exactly the same. And so we can be thankful. Uh, thankful that we have God's word preserved really miraculously. And even better, it's quite remarkable that now in you know, the 1900s and the 2000s, we have more manuscripts than they did um, back in the 1600s or the 1200s. It's really awesome. And there's so many more stories, amazing stories that I could tell you, but we don't have time um, about how God preserved his word and passed it on down to his people. And now uh, we can benefit and we don't want to neglect it and we don't want to doubt it and we don't want to be uninformed either that I want you to be equipped, you know, and if you have a conversation, I hope that you could maybe present a few of these things to people if they asked. Uh, Isn't the Bible just a translation of a translation of a translation? No, that's not how it works. Um, We actually have old, old manuscripts that we translate from directly from Greek to English. Um, So we can just be thankful, but also we don't want to take this for granted, do we? Think about all the time and energy that was poured in and actually not just energy, but blood spilt that you might have a Bible in your language. I'll tell you one final story here. In England, this is before the King James, they weren't allowed to have the Bible in English because of the Catholic Church. And there were some kids who had, their parents had written down the Lord's Prayer in English, and they had it in their pocket. This is crazy. And they burned those kids. They burned them alive at the stake. And there's a lot of people like that, but that one hits me because it was kids, you know. You can teach your Bible. <laughs> you can teach your Bible. You can teach the kids, your kids the Lord's Prayer in English, and nobody's going to hurt them. That's amazing. It's a privilege and an honor to have the Bible. We could, go, we could do a whole message on stories like that. Um, most of them were adults that were hurt but, and persecuted, but... But we can be thankful. Blood was spilt. Time and energy, manpower, was all spilt so that we could know this is what God says. And and I think it's worthwhile to, uh, if you have any interest in in learning basic Greek or anything like that, it's um it's not essential. But if you have an interest, there's value. There's value to be able just to say, hey. Uh, Actually, no, John 1 1 doesn't say that. It says this. And here's what it says the variants are, and we know that it hasn't been changed. Um, just little things like that that are helpful. And we can just pray. Let's pray for people that don't have a Bible. Let's pray for people, whether they're in a country that is persecuted or whether they don't have a translation in their language yet. But we can pray that God would provide Bibles for people who don't have them in whatever way that looks. Um, you know, they're giving out those little MP3 New Testaments. Um, um, I think uh, my friend in India does a similar thing. That's why I said that. I think, though, they give theirs out on little SIM cards. It's kind of amazing. People have cell phones that you can put a SIM card into, and they'll put the Bible on there digitally, but they don't have a Bible itself. And so they'll give them a little SIM card or a little, um, not a SIM card, some little storage thing that you can put in a phone. Um, flashcard, tiny micro flashcard uh, with Bibles on it. So 
we can just pray for people, whether that's digitally or physically, getting Bibles to people that don't have Bibles. So why don't we close by doing that, thanking God. Maybe one or two people could just thank God for our Bible that we have today, um, and then also pray for the people that, that don't have access, and then we'll close. Father, we just thank you for loving us. Um, thank you for providing your word for us, pre- for preserving it through the centuries and um, millenniums, and pray that you would, well, we know that you will, but we pray that you would continue to do that throughout uh, history until you come, and just like you promised. Um, pray that our kids would be just like uh, Paul said to Timothy, that they they would really know you um, and be brought up in your word and um, acquainted with it from childhood and pray that that would move on into their hearts to where they actually have faith in you, not just knowledge in their heads. And We're thankful for the Bible you've given us. We're thankful for good translators and uh, people really pouring their lives into giving us uh, opportunity to read your Bible, uh, your word in our own language. And we do pray for people in other places, uh, that don't have Bibles, I pray if there's anything you want us to do, you'd show us how we can do that, um, support, whether that's financially or even uh, however you would want us to do it. We just ask you'd show us, uh, but definitely we want to pray for people in uh, North Korea, um, other places, uh, China and uh, Iran and just other other countries. Um, you'd be bringing Bibles in, uh, access to Bibles, whether that's through the Internet or uh, digitally or physically, we just pray that you cause your word to be available there. Thank you so much uh, for loving us, for dying for us, and for not letting us um, not letting us uh, have any excuse to not um, believe you, just because you've preserved it so well. Um, what you did on the cross, Jesus. Oh, we're thankful. Thank you for Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Thank you for the New Testament. Thank you for the Old Testament. I pray that just this week we might just really treasure your word uh, more than we did last week. Um, pray you'd speak to us by your Holy Spirit each day. We ask these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.